Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. This Sunday night after the final episode of True Detective, we'll be going live for our last Flat Circle After Show with Jason Concepcion and Chris Ryan. You can stream that live on YouTube, Facebook, and Periscope. And while you're there, make sure to subscribe to our channel at youtube.com slash The Ringer as we near 100,000 subscribers. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Watch. Greenwald called in and we talked a little bit about a bunch of the movies and TV shows that we were anticipating for the rest of 2019 kind of takes us up until the fall. And there's a bunch of cool stuff there. We gave each each thing a rating and called it our anticipation, anticipation index. And then second half of the show, Jason Concepcion joined me to talk about this funny story that came out about the Lord of the Rings show on Amazon and people having to give fingerprints to get into the writer's room, but also just the way that that show is sort of being developed in public as a Game of Thrones competitor or as a Game of Thrones replacement. And then we also talked about what we're looking forward to and questions that we want answered as we head into the season finale of True Detective on Sunday. Obviously, Sunday is Oscars night, but we are going to be doing the Flat Circle live after the finale of True Detective on Sunday night. You can find us about 15 to 30 minutes after the episode ends on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you are watching the Oscars and you're you're in, you're invested in that, don't sweat it. You can catch us on YouTube afterwards. It's the place to find us. And while we're at it, Sean and Amanda, Sean Fantasy and Amanda Dobbins will also be doing live big picture stuff after the Oscars on Sunday night. So we have tons of stuff coming at you on Sunday night. It's must-see TV. It's must-listen-to podcasts. Uh, so let's get into today's episode of The Watch. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and calling in live from the pink room, it's Andy Greenwald! Yeah, you don't last long in this room, but what an entrance. <laughs> yeah, seriously. What an entrance. Watch out behind really you. Memorable. Watch out behind you. What's up, Greenwald? It's Thursday. We've got you for a few minutes as you carve out time in your busy TV production schedule. How's everything going? Good, not production. This is all technically pre-production, I think. Well, we it's just, all part. Right. It's all producing dreams, isn't it? It is. It is. It's. We're having a great time. This is fun. You gotta come by and visit. Uh, it's the frozen tundra of Los Angeles episode. I don't know if people know this, but uh, we got a little bit of a cold snap going in LA, and I know that conversations about weather can be boring to some. And for anyone living in the polar vortex, you're probably telling us to go fuck ourselves right now. But I gotta tell you, every day. I get up and I think about who I want to be, how I want to present myself to the world. And I like go into my closet and I pick out some some, some threads. And then I get can to the I, office. Can I jump in? Well, just one second, because I got to paint the picture here for you. I just want to know if this is before or after you have the toast. Because people from last week are hanging on the toast. Well, what do you mean? People are disagreeing, like they're caught up on my breakfast plans? No, you just were very, very honest about your breakfast plans. And I want to know when you wake up, to make yourself who you want to be. I'm sorry, I blew up your spot here. I just want to know, if, does, does the toast with bananas, is that part of this? The oniony toast and bananas because your cutting board is not clean. Properly. I realized that. Let me know. I found out how to clean the cutting board. So we've that crisis okay. has been averted. You just had to rub it down with lemon. Mm, there you go. Okay. Um, now, so now my bananas taste of lemon. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, but I, I come to work, I thinking I'm in Los Angeles where it's never going to be colder than 60. It's always going to be sunny. And... It is so cold here, and none of these buildings are prepared for this cold. No. And our building in, in where we work here has had some heating problems. And by about 11.30 a.m., I would say I look like a character from Manchester by the Sea. 
I'm just standing Chris. around with a hooded sweatshirt and a Carhartt on doing janitorial work on Route 1 in Massachusetts. Can, can I paint you a similarly frigid picture, which is that over here at the uh, production center offices where we are, we have lovely we have a lovely suite of offices. We're having a wonderful time. And we're so grateful to our hosts. However, this building was constructed for Buster Keaton, <laughs> and I believe the walls have the same bone density that Buster Keaton currently possesses. Yeah, and he's I, like the Grail Knight in Last Crusade. <laughs> what, what I want you to know is that in our writers' room there are currently three space eaters. And the other six writers have one. <laughs> what, what I want you to know is that in the same manner in which a slice of bread in your toaster is is made crispy with the dual heating method, that is how I sit in the writer's room every day because I am now an old person. Yeah, you're like Don Amici, just like kind of with like five, five powerful suns like blazing it's, on you. It's But, but... You know, this is as good a segue as ever to 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 turn towards the entertainment of the warmer times of year, right? Is that where you were headed? Yeah, so because basically I think- what I wanted to do with you today, because we don't have, like, we've talked about True Detective recently, we've talked about Russian Doll recently, we've kind of wrapped a lot of this stuff up. If anybody wants to get kind of the, the lay of the land for Oscars, I highly recommend checking out Fennessy and Dobbins over on the Big Picture feed. That's coming up Sunday, and you and I will talk about that next week as well. But this is that that moment before the storm where, you know, we've been talking about Roma versus Green Book versus Bohemian Rhapsody for a few weeks, and we've been talking about True Detective for a few weeks. But the floodgates are about to open. There's a bunch of stuff coming in the next couple of months and, in, and throughout the rest of 2019. And I thought it might be fun to do a little bit of an anticipation index of stuff that we're really looking forward to in the next couple of weeks. The Really, the game starts in the first week of March about when Triple Frontier and Captain Marvel come out, which mm-hmm. one of those really appeals to my interests. And then, uh, but we've talked <laughs> a lot about you're, those you're, things. I, can, I, can I just jump in quickly and say, there is no least credible time in Hollywood than the two weeks between when the first Twitter reactions to a Marvel movie come out and the movie itself comes out. Yeah. Uh, that said, unsurprisingly, the Captain Marvel early reviews are gushingly positive and nothing would make me happier than for that to be true. But here's the one red flag I want to just mention now, which is that from what I've gathered from my scientific 45 seconds of skimming Twitter responses, the cat is getting too much burn. Well, cats are big right now because Oatmeal the cat from Russian Doll apparently already has like a three picture deal. Yeah, it's got a got an overall deal at UCP. <laughs> yeah, wait, 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 wait a second! I, I resemble that remark. Uh, um, yeah, cats are. I, huge. I just feel like if you're talking about the cat, then I'm concerned about the movie. Yeah, but like, like it, Widows it, was an amazing movie, and a lot of people had a lot of good things to say about Olivia. I'm not saying what I'm saying is that's easy. Like the the cat or the dog should be good in these movies because they are literally trained animals like <laughs> and people love them no matter what right. you know what i mean like it, it, you, there could be a serial killer arrested and the serial killer could have a dog or a cat and people would be like no the cat was cute though right like right if you're is, if you're talking easy... about a brie larson vehicle and the comments yes. coming out are the cat is great it, there's cause for concern i hear you please note that is not the same if you're calling out the raccoon in a marvel film because in that case you were talking about Future multiple Oscar loser Bradley Cooper, and 
that is a different deal. Yes. Okay, so Triple Frontier, you're all in on. Of course, okay, yeah. What so what I want to do is, when I'm going to tell you about these projects, both films and, these are films and television that we're looking forward to in the next couple of months. You give me a one, one being my bot army is already refreshing the Arclight ticket page to get into this thing, and that could be for TV too, but just like, that's your level of anticipation. Mm-hmm. And five being, it, save it for Airplane Andy. And just to be clear, as we get into this, because we're doing this cold, um, when you say you tell me about projects, you literally are going to be telling me about them for the first time, I imagine, right? Like that's that that's the that that's the margins we're working within. I think that you've heard of some of this stuff. Okay, okay. we'll find out. All okay, right, so Captain go. Marvel, you're, you're, you're going to go what? You're going to do your number two, right? For Captain Marvel, mm-hmm. well, that's a tricky one because Captain Marvel, like I'm going to see, mm-hmm. um, so it 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 has my money, but in terms of my anticipation. Honestly, we're like three point five. Okay, that's where I, that's around where I am. That's where I'm at. It's, it's probably an opening weekend thing for me, not an opening night thing. And I will do, be easily go to. I will be Brown easily influenced by other people's reactions to it. But I got to see it for the canon, you know. Yeah, of course. Okay, Triple Frontier. That's a one for me. I've already in the jungle <laughs> for that movie. Like I've just been doing like Spawn Con for it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, what do you call it? I feel like you would know the term for this. Like, you know, what is the term for when, you know, when you're in the shit, Chris, you know what I mean? Like when you're in the army and you wear the swamp around you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're wearing like, you're, you're wearing like the, um, the pashmina of leaves. Oh, sure. Like when you're a sniper and and you have like all the, yeah, like you have like the leaf coat. Yeah. I guess that's just like immersive camouflage. I don't know. Oh, okay. If anyone out there is, uh, currently a sniper or as <laughs> sniping experience. I am curious what that is. Just I think we have a pretty, pretty big church. You'd be surprised who listens to the watch. Okay. So the Captain Marvel 3.5 triple frontier. I'm going to go with a one twilight zone. So twilight zone. You didn't ask me. Oh, <laughs> what's your triple I'm frontier? right here. What's your triple frontier number? Um, three, but if you get me some branded content leaf cloak, it moves up. To so what I'm going to do then is uh, when you come home late at night one day, I'm going to pop up out of your yard <laughs> <laughs> in a sniper outfit. Okay. Three, Twilight Zone, which had its trailer premiere, I believe today, uh, its first full trailer. There had been a teaser with Jordan Peele just sort of doing the Rod Serling bit, I think during the Super Bowl. But we got to actually see some footage from the CBS All Access reboot of Twilight Zone. It's executive produced by uh, Jordan Peele, I believe... Uh, watch favorite uh, Gregory Yatanis oversaw a lot of the production and the sort of the visual look of this show. Uh, it stars, um, I mean, it's an anthology series, but so far I know that Adam Scott and Jacob Tremblay are uh, in various episodes, Sana Lathan, um, Tracy Morgan. Um, I, it's interesting to kind of be, th- th- this is finally here I would say that I am at like a three on this one. Like I'm pretty, I'm pretty interested in it, but, uh, and I, as you know, cause I watched Survivor in bed and Survivor's back. I already have CBS all access. So I'm all set there. Where would you put, would you get CBS all access to watch this? No. Now let me say, I like a lot of the people involved. You mentioned a whole bunch of them, obviously Jordan Peele, um, Lily Amirpour, who directed the Briar Patch pilot directed an episode, which is pretty awesome. So I'm Tracy, Tracy Morgan, Adam Scott, like, Kumail is in it. Steven Yun. Like, this is a great, great cast, a great group of people. I am fond of the original Twilight Zone. Like, I did my, I did my semester sure. literally at probably in, in high school watching them and haven't, and have thought about them since, but have not revisited. I think that oddly, 
this, not oddly, like this is a reboot that makes a lot of sense for the culture uh, in terms of the types of stories people like to see and also um, the vehicle for telling the stories and that it's an anthology series. It, it all makes a lot of sense. CBS All Access continues to not make sense to me, but I'm going to give it a mulligan on this one. I guess I just, I'm just not sure. You know, there, there's something about this that I'm just a little suspect of and, and maybe what it is and, and, this is definitely not a reason not to check it out. But what I, what I, the feeling I get from it is that the Twilight Zone vibe, the type of stories that, that to my mind are the Twilight Zone, and this new version seems to be quite um, reverent of the original stories, if not outright influenced by them. It seems like that has become part of the culture to a degree that I don't know if we need this show anymore to provide it. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I, I also like- think that it's, I think that the way that Black Mirror has kind of fused Twilight Zone narrative tricks with technophobia, it'll be interesting to see how much technology plays a part in the new Twilight Zone, right? Like, because that just seems like something that's really well done right now. I agree. And, and I think it's also part and parcel of this uh crush of um, reboots or reimaginings of classic IP at a time when the influence of these original things is already so deeply felt and understood. And and it might, you know, and it's the same thing that gives me slight pause, not just with the Amazon Lord of the Rings series, but also with the upcoming or now announced um, foundation series based on the Isaac Asimov novels that I loved when I was in high school or um, you know, the, the suddenly undormant adaptations of William Gibson stuff, even some, you know, uh, Grant Morrison, the comic book writer we were talking about on Monday, like if something like the invisibles, which was hugely influential yeah. on a lot of things, including the matrix, like they, it, it's almost as if some of these original things have just become the minds that have already been stripped bare for all the stuff that we, we, we now know and love. So it'll be interesting to see when the old stuff comes back. Um, if there is a new way into the old stuff or if it feels overly familiar just because it's already been stripped for parts. Absolutely. So I am, I'm at a four. I okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go 3.54 right there for me. Fosse Verdon, we've talked about a lot. That comes right after Twilight Zone on April 9th. So Twilight Zone is April 1st, predictably. Fosse Verdon comes on FX on April 9th. You and I are both in the bag for this. It's Sam Rockwell and Michelle Williams. It's uh, this new take on, on, Bob Fosse and uh, his life, and it, it just looks fantastic. Today we got, and I forwarded you, the, the key art from the series, yeah. like the poster uh, of Rockwell and Williams, and I'm, I, I'm back up to a one now, just from the way it looks. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, Avengers Endgame comes after that on April 26th, which we had a lot of fun with with the post-Super Bowl show. Uh, and it, the fact that they've spent a billion dollars to make this the most expensive episode of The Leftovers ever. Uh, where would you put your number at? We don't have to get too deep into that. Look, I'm I'm in the tank. I'm a one. You know, I, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm excited because the stakes for this one are the highest they've ever been for a Marvel movie since the first Iron Man. Not because it's The Leftovers and not because I'm desperate to know if Spider-Man survives because I'm fairly certain that he does and he has a European vacation to go on. Shout out to the Griswolds. It's that this they are they have said basically they are ending. I mean, it's right there in the title. And of course, there will be more Marvel movies, you know, one or two months later. But just in terms of the stakes of the franchise and what's going to happen next and also the fact that we put in all this like blood capital and time into <laughs> watching and talking about this. 
And finally, I hope it doesn't actually run three hours, but you know who loved Infinity War? This guy. Yeah. I loved it. I had such a great time. So I am looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, I'm going to go one as well. Uh, a month later, uh, where there's this capstone on this uh, sort of long-running IP with Avengers Endgame, we'll get something a little bit new and original and really interesting while also obviously owing a lot to some of the the great sort of science fiction that's come before it. And that's James Gray's Ad Astra, which comes out May 24th, and it stars Brad Pitt, Tommy Lee Jones, Donald Sutherland, Ruth Nega, and um, Kimberly Elise. And James Gray is one of my favorite filmmakers. He made Lost City of Z a couple of years ago, which was I, you know, a movie I've seen multiple times. If you haven't had a chance to check out Lost City of Z, it's really a remarkable mo- like film. And Ad Astra is something I've just been really looking forward to because I think usually with uh, space movies now, I think that we're starting to like kind of like use them almost like westerns where you can do a lot of different things with your sci-fi movie set in space. And we've got like Claire Denis' High Life is coming out, but you've also got stuff like Interstellar and Gravity a few years ago. Uh, At Astra, Gray has talked about being influenced by 2001 and Apocalypse Now, which means he has my money already. Um, I'm just fascinated to see this is basically Brad Pitt's father, uh, played by Tommy Lee Jones, goes on a mission to Neptune and disappears, and Brad Pitt has to go look for him. So it just, that's a one for me. How high, and, I, and I'm pretty interested in this, and this is something I was not checking for until you mentioned it, but how high is the Solaris factor at play here? Solaris being Soderbergh's remake of the, the, the classic art science fiction film, and he remade it with George Clooney. Um, I consider, I mean, I haven't seen it since probably 2002, but I consider it a fascinating and noble failure. Mm-hmm. And are there elements of that here? Which is to say, only Brad Pitt, and God bless him for doing it, can get a highly ambitious, no doubt highly expensive science fiction movie helmed by James Gray made. And that's terrific that he that he can. But are we so far down this road of... of segregated culture, right? Where like, this will be so highbrow that it will lack the the sort of the fun or whimsy or adventure or punch that many people, you know, myself included, want from space movies. I'm fine with that. I think one thing that you're trying, the itch you're trying to scratch there is if a movie asks unanswerable questions, is it the movie's responsibility to answer them? And that's sort of the, the problem with space movies is when you kind of are saying, when you're presenting these ideas about, you know, man's place in the universe and all these other things. And then you say to, you say, okay, well, we're, you know, the kind of agreement you're making with the audience is that you're, you're asking them to go along with you as you investigate these questions and you can't answer them because no one can. Sometimes it leaves people a little bit unsatisfied. Now, 2001 is an example where they kind of, Kubrick sort of made the entire end of the film about the unanswerability of those questions and people have been studying it ever since because of that. So uh, if he leans into the, hey, I'm throwing my hands up at like the power and the scope of the universe, then I'm all into it. Well, I, I love that. And in, in think, look, I, I was being a little devil's advocate there because sure. I love that sort of thing. It does feel like that's a line, though. It's a, it's a needle that Brad Pitt seems interested in threading in his career. And I'm very glad about that. You know, it was it's why he wanted David Fincher to direct a World War Z sequel. It's like trying to have highbrow and lowbrow all at the same time. Honestly, from the description you've made of this movie, it sounds like the thinking person's interstellar, 
which is a movie that I think would have been more successful if it hadn't tried to make sense right. um, or tried to explain itself. Right. So, yeah, I, I'm cautiously optimistic. 2.5. OK, so we're going to skip ahead a little bit here. That takes us up to the end of May. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff that's like very interesting that I, I kind of I'm curious about what you're thinking about it, but. It, it doesn't really have uh, release dates yet, and that's two Netflix projects. One is The Last Thing He Wanted, which is Dee Reese's adaptation of a Joan Didion novel uh, about arms dealing in the 1980s in, uh, I believe, Central America. And this is starring Ben Affleck and Anne Hathaway. And Dee Reese, of course, directed Mudbound a few years ago. And I'm, I've seen set photos for this, and it just makes me—I'm pumped and jacked for this. Well, also, as, as you noticed before I did, that— my 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 guy Eddie Gathegi is also in it. Yeah, right? you got to get some uh, some scoop for me here. Co co star of Briar Patch. I will get some scoop. Um, look, this is I, I know nothing about this project other than to say, for me, this remains the dream of Netflix that they hear that D Reese wants to do this, and it, I hear the name, I hear Joan Didion, and I see this cast, and particularly like this is this is this is Chris Ryan catnip. This plot, right? I'm not far behind you. Shout out to Oatmeal the Cat. Um, <laughs> this is the dream of Netflix, that they would just say, sure, green like that. The word salad of all of the things you just said would not be on the menu anywhere else at this particular moment in American cultural history, and I'm glad that someone is making it. So having only just learned of it, it's a two. So the it's, it's a two for me, and the other uh, Netflix project that you and I are keeping our eye out for, obviously, is Mindhunter Season 2, which we assume is coming at some point this year, but is... So far, I haven't even heard anything about it. And if there was anybody who was going to hear about it, uh, I would hope it was one of us. But yeah, seriously, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, I'm sure there's some people who work on Mindhunter who probably hear before us. But uh, Mindhunter season two, directed by David Fincher, but also this time directed by Andrew Dominic, who did the assassination of Jesse James and Killing Them Softly and this incredible Nick Cave film that came out a few years ago. And it's uh, reported to circle on the Atlanta child murders and Carl Franklin worked on Mindhunter season two. So you've kind of got, you've kind of got like three massively talented filmmakers working on this. And I think that Mindhunter is going to be the kind of thing that gets better as it goes deeper rather than regress. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's been interesting talking to people, especially other TV writers about that show, because I think it was more contentious than I thought. Um, and I, and I, and I think that a lot of people, again, this is totally their right, but checked out earlier in the season, um, certainly than we did because we saw the whole thing and loved it. But it, what it is, it is the rare show that begins with some very broad strokes, but recognizes its broad strokes, owns them, and then interrogates them. And so by the end, it's just sort of a fascinating, smeary line. And I, I do think that it will continue to get better, right? I mean, I, I think that it was, noteworthy how interested in its own cliches the show was. Absolutely. And I think the, the sign that it was aware of that from the beginning was casting Jonathan Groff in this sort of other, what, what in previous eras would be understood as the straight white male straight guy role, and then letting him process things in real time, things that maybe we've become inured to from generations of, of entertainment, honestly, like Mindhunter, and seeing what actually dealing with and wrestling with the broken perversity of the world. Yeah, the depravity, yeah. And I, I could be more excited but because plus, okay, look, at the end of the day, like Fincher, Dominic, and Franklin directing something, you you, you have to at least. Yeah, that's a one for me. They could just be filming me people too. reading the phone book. I want to ask quickly about two last things here because I want to let you go. Um, one of them is City on a Hill, which is coming out in June, late June on Showtime. 
And I think when I first heard about this, I was a little like, oh, that sounds like interesting. And the trailer, if you watch it, I mean, like, I think that when you get, so the, the story of this is a set in the 90s. It's produced by Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, and Tom Fontana. Tom Fontana's done, did Oz. He did the Homicide Life on the Street. He's like a sort of Hall of Fame television maker. And it stars Kevin Bacon and Aldous Hodge in, in an early 90s Boston setting where Kevin Bacon plays an FBI agent, a crooked FBI agent, who helps uh, Aldous Hodge kind of pull out the corruption in the city of Boston with the backdrop of like, armed robberies happening. And when you watch the trailer, which feel, features like a like a naggingly catchy song by this guy Sam Fender, which I who I'd actually not heard of before, you're just kind of like, oh, they made the town into billions. And mm-hmm. it kind of speaks to Showtime's ability to manufacture prestige pleasure center fair. You know what I mean? You've, you've exactly nailed what's interesting about this. And what what I would say is if this was an HBO show, and this sounds totally backwards normally, but bear, hear me out. If this was an HBO show, it would seem intolerable to me. The fact that it's a Showtime show is the best thing that could ever happen to it because I don't want more of the departed i don't want more (laughs) of that boston shit and if i am getting it i don't want it to be self-serious i don't want it to be somber now obviously there will be aspects of the show i mean look with the people involved this is a drama i'm not pretending this is black monday but i think you've identified uh correctly identified the showtime piece of it and i mean this with actual real praise like i think showtime Angles, it shows more towards the pleasure center than HBO. And sometimes that can hurt them. But I think in this case, it might be the spark that it would need to not become a slog. Yes. That actually makes me more interested in it because we haven't seen crime shows have gotten more and more and more serious, right? And if this is a little billionsy, I'm interested. I have one last one for you. So there's tons of stuff coming oh, out in 2019. Wait, wait, I have one more Showtime one for you that I don't think was on your list. Oh, okay. How are you feeling about the Halo show? <laughs> only because it was in the news and I feel so I'm weirdly interested in it I feel like people aren't checking for it they're not talking about it it seems well, we had like talked about like the, all the directors that had run through did. yeah so well, we also had talked about it years ago because this was remember this was a big splashy thing for the Microsoft Xbox network that was going to exist and blah 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 and then we started to get more interested in it when it was Kyle Killen who was the first guest ever on Hollywood Prospectus, I think, back when he was making the NBC show Awake. But he is now show running this, which immediately <laughs> makes it a must-watch for me because I'm fascinated. And then Otto Bathurst was just announced as the director and executive producer. And he's done some of the best episodes of Peaky Blinders and Black Mirror. And again, like, this was one of those giant gambles by Showtime that felt like... I haven't oh, heard you this excited in a very long time. You're psyched well, for I'm the ex- Halo I'm show. St- it's a one I'm for really you. I'm really interested. It's a one but for you. It's a 0.5. No, here's why I'm interested. It felt like an afterthought when it fell to Showtime. And I think when we talked about it last a couple of months ago, we were talking about how it just seemed like everyone needed to make their splashy, expensive Game of Thrones. And, and, this, and, and almost like Showtime showed up late to the party and there wasn't much left on the buffet line. But what if their timing was smart? What if their timing was brilliant? What if they're watching all their competitors like Amazon, you know, spend God knows how many, close to a billion dollars making an elf show that people kind of already know the I'm about to talk to Concepcion about that, yeah. But what if this is, what if 
Kyle Killen has a way to make space army drama interesting. I, I like, love your confidence. This is secretly the interesting. I one? love your I don't confidence, know, but maybe it is. Before I let you go, so let's put that at a at a, at a zero. Apparently, that's how hyped because, you are wait, for no, I'm going to defend myself one more for one more <laughs> one more point, God. which is the Lord of the Rings thing. It worries me in the same way the Netflix Marvel shows did because it was a concept first, and then they were like, "Well, then we'll find writers for it." It felt backwards. Uh-huh. Halo is such a blank slate. It's just like a you know two decade old now, almost two decade old video game franchise. I just think and that they the, handed it to a weird guy. The roads weird, of Hollywood finger. are paved with the bodies of people who tried to make cool video game shit. You know, it's just no doubt. Yeah, no um, doubt. I wanted to clear out. I mean, this has been great because you, you've just given me so much in this podcast, but I'm going to ask for a little bit more. There's a lot happening okay. in 2019. Plenty will happen after uh, City on a Hill happens towards the end till the end of the year. But there's one special title and it's not the kind of thing that you and I usually talk about, but I know it's something that's close to your heart. And I actually took the time to watch the trailer for this. And I have a lot of questions. Greenwald. Okay. Where's right. your head at? with Frozen 2. I can't believe you're teeing me up like this. When did this shit come and turn into Dark Knight Rises? That's my biggest concern. (laughs) Why why has she got to like skip jump through an ocean and climb out of the like the the prison in the middle of the desert with a broken back to go fight Bane? My guy, I, every morning, I get into my car with my older daughter and I drive her to school and we have all sorts of conversations. And this week, a lot of the conversations have been both math and birthday related where she's like, how old will I be in 10 months? How old will I be in 30 years? How old will you be? Will you be dead? You know? So it's bright and early. Good morning stuff. Today. She was like asking me a bunch of different dates and numbers. And she said, what about in 10 months? And I said, you'll still be the same age, but uh, it'll be almost Christmas. And then she went, oh, will the new Frozen movie be out by then? And will I have seen it? <laughs> Here's of all the things you said, and a longtime listeners of The Watch will know this to be true. The odds of me seeing any of them, eh, <laughs> fair to middling. Yeah. I will see Frozen 2 multiple times. Of course you will. Regardless of quality. And I have seen Frozen 1 many times. And I don't think you could say the same. But... I have real concerns that this is this trailer is like a Chow Yun Fat film from 1997. <laughs> that Elsa's like, just gonna be like running through hallways killing drug dealers. Why is Anna just drawing Kristoff's sword? Who's chasing her? Why is the dominant theme Elsa's alone on an island and it's autumn now? I don't get. Now I get that they want to make it ominous and cool or whatever. It's a teaser trailer. We don't hear the songs. We don't. But is this Empire but, Strikes Back? What's happening? This is the sequel problem, because the thing about Frozen, in addition to it being good, is that it is a brilliantly constructed one-and-done movie. It's a fable, and it works so well, and it's totally contained, and we don't need more. But, of course, we're getting more. And so at that point, what more is there to say? I guess there are going to be bad guys now? Look, I, I also can get behind the concept that, like... For the young girls who saw the first movie, they're older now, and maybe it's a little bit more of an action adventure where, where once again, Anna and Elsa are the action stars and they're not relying on the male characters to save them. And I believe me, I completely support this and love it. But, yo, <laughs> this shit looks really dark. I can't wait to and go I, on this journey with you. I don't think that's what this is supposed to be, but 
I need, look, I appreciate the question. I want, I want the Daddington Hive to weigh in on this. For what it's worth, the Daughter Hive was pretty psyched. It, it gets a one from the Daughter Hive. Yeah, some trepidation from times. Daddington Hive. All right, Greenwald, thank you so much for calling in. We'll be talking to you next week. You have a safe and fun and non-snowy weekend. Chris, you're always a one for me. Thanks, brother. Coming up in just a second, I talked to Jason Concepcion about Lord of the Rings and True Detective. But before that, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by ADT. When it comes to something as important as your family's safety, you deserve real protection from ADT. Real protection means the nation's number one smart home security provider is standing by and there for you when you need them. Real protection means having a safe and smart home with everything from video doorbells, surveillance cameras, smart locks, lights, carbon monoxide, and smoke detectors in a system that's custom designed to fit your lifestyle. And setting up custom automations to do things like lock the doors and set the thermostat when you leave. Real protection means staying safe on the go in the car or when your kids are at school with the ADT Go app and the SOS button. Real protection means 18,000 employees safeguarding you. Real protection means direct connections with first responders. No matter how you define safety for you, your family, or your business, ADT is there. ADT, real protection. Visit ADT.com slash podcast to learn more about how ADT can design and install a secure smart home just for you. All right. I'm joined now by my flat circle co-host, my brother, Jason Conceptio. What's up, man? Um, We we can talk a little true detective in a few minutes. Let's do that. We got to get get to the bottom of something here. (laughs) Yeah. So Andy and I just got done talking about all these things that we're anticipating in 2019. And, you know, at certain points, like there's hard, it's hard to find out certain things about, you know, what's happening with Mindhunter season two. It's under lock and key. Is it going to be about the Atlanta child murders? Who can say? Of course. But another piece of pop culture news came across the transom this week, and I just want to—I want to send out a an SOS to the people here. I don't really do—we don't do a lot of investigative journalism or advocacy journalism on the watch, right? But I think I think I might have to get one of those PGP keys just for this, man. And it's, it's specifically for the people. And you guys are, I'm, I'm sure you guys are killing it. I'm sure you guys are making great stuff. But the people who are working on the Amazon Lord of the Rings show, because honestly, it sounds like you're you're working in like, like a failing Soviet state in the 80s. I don't know why the Lord of the Rings writer's room can only be accessed by, uh, you know, like, it, it's like getting to the knock list in Mission Is Impossible. Are we in Minority Report? <laughs> yeah, like, what? Are, are, are there two twins in a milk bath somewhere who allow you to get in? <laughs> so here's what we're talking about, right? Yeah. This Amazon show, like, they've just started the rollout for the Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings show on Amazon. They have a, ha- a quarter of a billion dollars already wrapped up in this thing. Woo! This needs to be a hit for them. I mean— Will it eventually matter to Jeff Bezos' wallet? Probably not. No. But, like, they need this to happen. Jennifer Salke, who's the head of Amazon, is is sort of overseeing this project. And she said recently uh, that there's a fantastic writer's room working under lock and key. Sounds great. They're already generating really exciting material. They're down in Santa Monica. Well, don't even tell us where they are. Don't Jennifer. tell me Santa Monica. Now I'm going to go to Santa Monica in my Aragorn outfit being like, where are, where are my guys? Uh, you have to go through such clearance and they have all of their windows taped closed. Sounds great. That's what happens. That's what Michael Shannon does in Bug. You don't have to tape your windows closed. And there's a security guard that sits outside and you have a you have to have a fingerprint 
to get in there because their whole board is up for the whole season. I mean, let's say this. God forbid that anybody spoil Lord of the Rings. Guess what? A book series that has been out, oh, like 85 years. And they just got done making six interminable movies about this. Six movies. Also, like, what are you going to do? Put uh, Led Zeppelin's Misty Mountain Hop under lock and key, too? Like, Robert Plant fucking spoils this story in 1974, guys. This is the thing, is that, like, secrecy is such a powerful thing right now. I mean, you and I, we're we're doing the Game of Thrones after show this year. And we, you know, you and Mallory can probably, like, honestly, you could probably minority report Milk Bath the, the last yeah, few Yeah, I think episodes. we could get close. You could get close. You could, yeah. you could, you could be above the Mendoza line. Mm-hmm. You could make the big team. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I, I know that this is going to be about Aragorn before Fellowship of the Ring. Right. I'm not actually even like a Tolkien scholar, right? But I have like a loose idea of what's going to happen here, and instead, it's like. I think that they're using the secrecy to drive interest. Now, I I kind of wonder whether or not we are approaching the end of this a little bit. Mm. Like whether or not there's going to have to be a little bit of a turning of the barge so that we can start like sharing shit with people and just being like, you're a grown up. This is a right. story you're going to be into. Right. Here's what it's about. You know, just give us a log line. That's all. You don't have to show me the whiteboard. You don't have to, but like when you're like, you, I have to cut another person's hand off right. and, then and I, use their fingerprints to get into this room. Like, treat me like a grown up. Uh, I I agree with you that I think that this is how they're building buzz for it. Like yeah. this, listen, our shit is so secretive. I know that you've like for everybody out there who's read the Tolkien, who's who's dived into the unfinished materials, who's watched the movies and the animated movie from the seventies. There's some shit in here that's so new, so mind blowing that we you literally have to like give a saliva sample to get out yes. of the writer's room. But how long can they keep doing this? So let's say we get this end of 2020, which I don't, I have a feeling we might not. I think they want it. I would imagine they would want it for end of 2020. And if they are starting a a rollout this far in advance, they must have a sense of when it's coming. Right. But, like, that's a long time to be like, it started with a map. Right. You can't get into the writer's room. (laughs) We're not telling you anything about it. It's like, okay, look, like, the difference between... Lord of the Rings, I, Lord of the Rings is something that like there are literally people who just like major in Lord of the Rings at right. colleges. Like, right, they learn the they learn Elvish. You're just gonna like the whole point of having this property is to satisfy that. Like, you can't just be like, "What if Smog was a good guy?" Right, you know what I mean? Like, people aren't gonna be into that. I, I, I understand. I know what's going on here, but it's just there was something about the way that this was presented that I was just like, "Why don't you guys just be?" Be like, here's what it's about. Yeah, I think that you're right. I think you know, there's something about, um, there's something about the way that Game of Thrones was able to, able to capture people's imagination um, by using shocks that absolutely, um, you know, completely contravened what you expect from a story, from an action story, from a fantasy story. You know, season one, if you know nothing about the books, you go in thinking, oh, this is kind of like a fantasy procedural Ned Stark on the case. He's going to figure it yeah, out. Right. Uh, oh, no, he's dead. <laughs> and then you're thinking, oh, Rob Stark, uh, the king, he's uh, married his love and now he's trying to put the alliance back together. But then he gets betrayed. Everybody is killed. And it's just this con- this constant kind of winnowing down of expectations and subverting uh, long-established themes. I guess, the, you know, uh, so I understand the idea of, of like, trying to generate that with this. what twist can you honestly have here? I don't know. I guess 
I guess we should assume from this that much of the first season of this is going to be young Aragorn. You've never seen this before. Here he is, you know, joining the Rangers. But, but is there, like, uh, the truth about Aragorn that we're, like, is there, like, this this idea that, like, there's something about, I mean, I know he's, like, Strider, he yeah. leaves Gondor, right? Like, I, I'm not trying to get too nerdy here, but, like, I watch those movies. Like, yeah. I feel like I have a pretty good sense of that dude's story. Yeah, I think it's kind of, it's just kind of crazy to be like, oh, man, I hope people don't find out that uh, Gollum bites Frodo's finger off and falls into the volcano, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah. huge twist. Like, there's not... It, all the major twists are just out there, right. and they've been out there for 80 years. And this is a part of, uh, you know, this is the touchstone of fantasy literature and English literature. So it's it's just a, it's just a weird choice. This made me—this was sort of giving me Star Wars anthology movie vibes, mm. where I'm like, I see, I see what they're doing, but right. I think that part of the reason why— Rogue One, I mean, it was a very successful movie, and I think yeah. the problems with Rogue One had more to do with the execution of it rather than the concept of it. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting to be like, okay, we've got a piece of this this incredibly lucrative, beloved pie. What do we do with it that doesn't feel like a retread but right. still has this connection to the material that everybody feels so deeply a part of? Yeah, And in Rogue One, they essentially told a whole movie about a throwaway line— in a, in, right. or, or at least like this this thing that happens like right before New Hope and right. so much so that the coolest part of Rogue One is when New Hope yeah. starts yeah. and you're like I can't believe this is coming full circle I wonder whether or not that is ultimately the trajectory for this show yeah I would assume so I think you know you kind of touched on it obliquely one of the weaknesses of, a, of an execution like this is just structurally like you know Aragorn is going to make it to the end. Mm -hmm. It's not like Game of Thrones, which snuck up on people. And had was, four right, heroes. Right. And and was, you know, like a best-selling series, but not, uh, but wasn't widely known in the way that Lord of the Rings was. And wasn't is. So, so closely guarded that they couldn't have made some decisions. Right. They they could have been like, you know what, Sean Bean, a lot right. of people like this guy, let's keep him around for a couple of seasons. Right. I mean, you fuck the whole story up if you Right, you can't, it's not like you'd be like, oh, I guess, you know, Strider does some other thing and right. maybe the elves do X, Y, Z. So, as a, as a method of ginning up a, a hype for this, I get it. It's just really weird, man. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? I mean, are they, so from what you know with the Thrones prequel, mm -hmm. like, they don't seem to be as 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 like, I mean, I think they're working on it, right? Right. Like, but well, the thing with the Thrones prequel, as we understand, it's set um, during the years of the Long Night. So you're talking after the Age of Heroes, which is like, you know, anywhere from George has shifted what this is, but anywhere from like five thousand to eight thousand years before the events of the story. So you're not kind of uh, so while you know broadly the historical beats of the things that happen, mm -hmm. it's not like. Oh, Ned needs to make it to the right, end of the right. series. He can't. Yeah, yeah, he's just not there. Right. That's a really interesting distinction. Okay, so quickly before you go, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about True Detective. Yes. I definitely feel like it's it's been cool to watch everybody. Thank you so much for watching Flat yeah. Circle and listening to us on the recapables and watching it on YouTube and leaving comments. It's been very cool to see despite the fact that this has been on opposite, like, nine major national right, it's events. it's like Super Bowl and now the Oscars. Yeah, and the All-Star Game and everything. Yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of seemed to have picked up momentum as the season has gone on, mm -hmm. and people uh, seem really, really, really invested. They, I, it was, a, there was maybe some slow trucking in the middle of it. Sure. But, like, dude, 
there's so much stuff that has to happen in episode yeah. eight that I feel like it could be a really exciting finale. It could be a, a real, real barn burner. I think the the really neat trick that they've accomplished with this season is that, you know, we kind of broadly know what yeah. happened. Yeah. But it's still fascinating. There's still enough holes in there that we that uh, you know I just can't wait to find out more. You know, we we know that Hoyt is involved. We know that he's had the kids somewhere, like in a, in his house, um, and that he was somehow involved in Will's death. But there's just so much we don't know, and so many balls in the air. I really can't wait to to find out. What it's going to be up. a real referendum on like what Pizzolatto is capable of. I and I, I, I've been impressed with it this season, but I think that there's like, it's pretty much like the Amelia stuff has to like have a satisfying conclusion right. in some way and actually be explained because that's the card that he's been holding back. Yes. She has had, she's unlike a lot of characters, she's she's really signaled the fact that like she was a different person before we saw her on mm-hmm. the show and that she's capable of being different people and we don't know what happened to her uh, in between 1990 and 2015 that she's not in the 2000... I mean, she's passed away, but we don't yeah. know why. And she is probably the most interesting remaining mystery of this season, and it'll be really cool to see how they they figure that out. I think one of the things I'm really impressed about uh, since the introduction of old Roland yeah. into old Wayne's life is just, you know, this is something we had talked about off screen was like, oh, I'm a little worried about what that's going to be. Mm-hmm. These two old guys. Yeah, they're going to be like wheelchairing around yeah, in like Arkansas. Yeah, like trying to solve the case. But it's actually, there's been a, just a ton of pathos there with yeah. kind of like Roland's uh, natural tendency to want to take in like broken people and strays and then having to care for Wayne who is absolutely shot at this point. That's been really, uh, it's been really affecting. And I agree with you with the Amelia stuff. Like it just feels like they've hinted at real depths to her mm-hmm. that we have not yet been plumbed. There's a lot of sizzle there, and I really hope there's a stake. Yeah, in retrospect, you know, as this season went on, I think one of the times when it really kind of f- took flight was when it loosened up a little bit mm-hmm. from just Wayne's perspective. And despite the fact that Mahershal is giving this incredible performance, I thought, like, it got a little bit more live mm-hmm. when it was from Tom Purcell's perspective mm-hmm. or from Roland's perspective or a little bit of Henry and, like, it was just moving around a little bit more, and I think that th- I think that that's going to come into play. Like, I want to know how Amelia saw this because right now we get her, and she has like she'll have a fight and she'll have a speech yep. and she'll have like her book and whatever. But that one moment in the at the reading was really effective, and I think it would be really neat to see like what she's what what happens in these intervening years. Yeah, I think it's funny because you know season one is so lauded and remembered for just the immediacy of the of. of the vibe that was created between uh, Rust and Marty and Russ Cole being one of the great TV yeah. inventions yeah. of the last five yeah. or six years. And I think that kind of overshadows how vague the ending was and how little was really um, settled, mm-hmm. you know? So it's just gonna be it's just gonna be interesting to see like what happens in this final episode. Because a lot Man, there's there's just a lot of question marks. Okay, so you can watch me and Jason on Sunday night. We're going to go live a, like a few minutes after the episode airs. So I would imagine if the episode finishes at like 7.15 West Coast, 10.15 East mm-hmm. Coast, we'll be on around 
7.30, And if you're watching the Oscars, don't sweat it. We'll be there on YouTube for yep. you. Uh, you can hit us up with questions that night. We'll, we'll try to get to some audience questions. And we're watching along with you, man. We're just going to try and figure it out. So uh, thank you so much for stopping by the watch, brother. Thanks for having me. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by ADT. When it comes to something as important as your family's safety, you deserve real protection from ADT. Real protection means the nation's number one smart home security provider is there for you when you need them. Real protection means 18,000 employees safeguarding you. No matter how you define safety, ADT is there. ADT, real protection. Visit ADT.com slash podcast to learn more about how ADT can design and install a secure smart home just for you. 